0: If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Acts chapter 4, please? As we continue to preach through the book of Acts, I will finish up part two of the prayer for boldness, starting in verse 23, Acts 4, verse 23. Against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, we want to speak your word with boldness. It is our job, it is our ministry, it is our calling, it is our vocation, Father God, for all believers to speak your word with boldness, Lord. We desire that here in this church. We desire that in our own personal lives, Father God. We do not want to shy away or be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we too need your Holy Spirit, God. We cannot do it without the encourager, the counselor who comes alongside his church to strengthen us from the inside out, Father. So I pray, Father, that as we go through this text, you tug on our hearts, Lord God, that we too will pray and that we too will ask that we be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we too can speak the word of God with boldness. Bless this sermon, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. As we began last week, we see that the apostles who, after healing the man at the gate, who was basically a paraplegic for 40 years, uh, they got arrested for this miracle. They got arrested for preaching, this open air preaching that was stirring up the masses. They were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. They were filling Jerusalem with the teaching of Christ. Uh, That was a threat to the establishment, the religious establishment. That was a true threat. And they didn't like this, and of course they got arrested. We went through this over the last month. And they arrested them, and at the end of them, they really couldn't do much because of the healed man, the evidence was staring right in front of them. And all Jerusalem knew that a great miracle had transpired and taken place. So the elders, who were threatened by the name of Christ, just like they were threatened by the Christ when he was here, and they crucified him, they thought it was all over. Little did they know about the resurrection. And so the best they can do is threaten the apostles and tell them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they let them go. And the first thing they did when they released, went, went to their friends, directly went to their friends and reported to them. Everything the elders and the chief priests had told them had, had threatened them. And we spoke about that last week, that that's the place we need to be. We need to be around Christian friendship because the world is hostile to Christ. Did you realize that? Has anybody found that out now? And if you press into holiness, if you press into godliness, guess what you 're persecuted for being different if you live to a high standard of morality, guess what you 're persecuted not just by the religious establishment but even by friends and family who will persecute us for our deep convictions on morality and our deep convictions on how to worship christ and, and that Christ truly is the only way that there is no other name under heaven in which a man can be saved. And we're gonna find at the end of the week it's kind of wearisome being out in the world. And we need to come back to our friends. We need to recalibrate on Sunday and remember that you know we're not in it alone. Amen? Amen? And the importance of coming and hearing that message week in and week out that we are not alone because the truth of the matter is if we try to do it alone, we will get absorbed into the world, into the culture. And into that horrible world word called compromise. It's the church that encourages and quarantines us from the world. We live in the world, but what? We are not of the world. And when they came and they gave this great report of the threat, it says they listened, they heard. And it wasn't they weren't hearing facts. And we bring this out last week. It's important to understand. They were preaching. They were laying out what was happening. An articulate expression of the threat against Christianity. A threat against their own life. And they all heard it. They all realized the deep implications of what was taking place. What was transpiring. The faith was under what? It was under attack. And they heard that. And the first thing they did in unison, they went to prayer. They didn't complain. They didn't murmur. <clears throat> they didn't try to find someone's at fault here. Let's let's get somebody. We've got to blame somebody. Uh, no, they didn't do that. They went in unison with one mind and one heart. They went to prayer, and they lifted up their voices. And we spoke about Sovereign Lord, and we spoke about that last week. And I'll spend just a little bit of time on it today. But they knew to go to God, Hever, uh, creator of heaven and earth, the scene, everything in it, and just speaks of his ultimate power over all things, including human history. God who created creation, sustains creation, has a plan for creation. He's bringing it to a new creation. And he governs Everything. In human history, it was the church's ethos, it was the guiding principle. When these Jewish believers got together, they knew undoubtedly, unequivocally, that God possessed and owned and governed the whole universe, even the affairs of men. We need to adopt that in our personal lives. In our corporate lives we need to realize no matter what we hear the report amen yes. what we see going on in the world what we see is sp- specifically going on in america the great changes going on in america coming against religious freedom they're still coming against the name of jesus they don't like God. They don't like Jesus. They don't like only one way. The world we live in, the culture we live in doesn't want to hear anything about an absolute morality. Tolerate anything, everybody, all things. Don't make a stink. Don't raise up a standard. That's who we live. That's what we live in. And we need to know that God is in absolute full control of this. And what happens when they heard this? They bowed their hearts in a they prostrate. They laid before the sovereign Lord of the universe. They lifted up their voices. They cried out to him all their hopes, all their dreams, all their fears. They, they, they bring the future to him no matter how uncertain things may look. They knew it was all in God's hands. Think about if you own that in your own heart. And I own that in my own heart. Think about where your life would be. Think about what's bothering us right now. What's really troubling your conscience in my life right now? What is it? Is it regrets? Or is it the future? Right now. What's the big dilemma in your life? Who here is not worried or concerned at least... Or anxious about the future? Who's not anxious about your own health? Your family's life? Your children's life? This one, Your grandchildren's? Who's not concerned about what's taking place in America today? Who's not concerned about where the church is going to be in 10 years? Where this nation's going to be? We all have an eye to the future. And we need to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God has the future in his hand. The whole of the Christian ministry and the advancement of the gospel, whether it was in Jerusalem and to the rest rest of the world, is protected and guided by the sovereign power of God. His eyes upon the gospel, his eyes upon us, the all-powerful, nothing he can't do, Lord. And behind this is God's authority over human history. We'll see tonight that they had such, why they had such high convictions. And we spoke about this last week, and it was in the, the, the qualification that God made heaven and earth and everything in it. This understanding of God's ultimate power is rooted deeply in Old Testament teaching, Old Testament revelation. The creation account. That's where it all starts. As the creator of the universe, you have to remember something. What we're speaking about right now, this is only the Jews owned this. Only the Hebrews had this revelation of God. Every other nation thought there were many gods. And they all played a little part. Who was the sun god? Who was the moon god? Who was the water god? Agriculture, fertility, it was all there. There was all many different gods. They had no idea there is one god. Theism. One God, one creator. The Jew understood that. And what's important about it, they didn't just understand it. They realized he's not just the creator, but he also sustains. And he not just sustains, but he he guides human history to a destiny. And please understand that that is very, very scary to someone who is not saved. God is bringing human history. He's in control of human history. It's not evolving the way we think it is. It is being guided by God to a consummation between good and evil. When the Christ comes back and slays the dragon with the word of his mouth. It is going in the direction of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Where there is no sin, no suffering, no sickness anymore. It is going there and guess what? Nothing is going to stop it from coming. And it's going to come on God's timing. Not a minute too late. Not a minute early. Specifically and purposely orchestrated by God, calculated by God, it will come when he has decreed it to come. Nothing can stop. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God I want to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're worried. That's the kind of knowledge I want of who Christ is. He's in full control of your story. He's in full control of your history. Every detail he's concerned about. He can take that which is bitter, and only he can make it, only he can do it. He can take what we've ruined, and what we've defiled, and he can make something good at it. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the Lord. All things even our greatest mistakes in the hands of the Lord, he turns it to good. He brings us closer to himself, a deeper dependence on him, a greater humility in us, a greater faith in him. The Jews knew it. As creator and sustainer of his creation, he's naturally author of its history history. Human history is no mere accident, but it's the unfolding of all that God has planned, like I said, from the first creation to the new creation and all the means to the end. Even the crucifixion of Christ, which was according to God's full knowledge and the definite plan, everything falls under the jurisdiction of God. They're crying out. They cry out according to the prophecies. The second qualification, prophecy. Specifically in this case, it's Psalm 2. These believers were steeped, not just in Old Testament history, creation history, as God revealed it. But Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament promises, as God proclaimed them. They knew it. This prophecy from Psalm 2, like all the prophecies, were not given to wow them. A prophecy was fulfilled and it, it wows people. No, 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 no. Prophecy wasn't given as God's some kind of showman. It's God's calling card. It's God's way of saying I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm right here. I'm guiding everything. I see your fears. I see your anxieties. Prophecies being fulfilled. So be encouraged and have hope. Even though all of Jerusalem, all the elders and all the high priests are against you. Guess what? I am for you. When you see prophecy being fulfilled, it's not to it's not to set us in fear. And anxiety, remember what Jesus says? When you see these things happening, look up, your redemption draws nigh. I love the doomsday preachers. They like to point you to possible fulfillments of prophecy, you know, of of an apocalyptic kind. Like the end is almost here, but they never say, look up, your redemption draws nigh. That's what it's for. When you see these things happening, look up and rejoice. Your redemption's drawing nigh. Don't live in fear. Don't live in anxiety. Live in hope. Live free. Live joyous. Live bold for Christ. It's God's calling, God, to encourage believers that God is fully in control. God could not make a future promise. God could not make a prophecy concerning the future. This was a thousand years before Christ, listen, unless he was in control of human history. That's why. They lean on his qualification as the creator, sustainer, the God who gives prophecy and promises to his people. That's inspiration. But there's also the God, uh, the third one, I mean, I'm sorry, inspiration. These prophecies came through David. Just think about these Jewish boys. They grew up reading the Psalms all their life, fully aware of the Psalms. But now they're so spirit conscious. They're so filled with the spirit. Jesus spoke to them about the encourager. Jesus spoke to them about the counselor. Jesus said that when the counselor comes, we will make our abode in you. They're fully aware, self-aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that now they realize when David spoke, it was not David speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And they attribute Psalm 2, not just to David, but to the Holy Spirit who spoke through David. And they see the inspiration. That they acknowledge the inspiration of these prophecies was another form of expression that God is in control of all human events. Just like he was in control of creation. He's in control of sustaining creation. He's in control of human history. He's in control of inspiration. He's in control of the prophecies he has given. If he has given the prophecy, guess what? He'll fulfill the prophecy. But it shows something else. It shows, however, the redemptive side of human history. Prophecies are not there for creation's sake. Creation bears witness to itself that God is the creator. But prophecies are there to show us that God is the God of redemption. And not just redemption, this is the ugly side of it. Persecution. This is important. This prophecy from Psalm 2 was spoken by the Holy Spirit, yes. Through God's servant David, yes, who also suffered on behalf of God, as they're suffering on behalf of God. Everybody's suffering in this text. David suffered as the lesser son of God. Jesus is the ultimate son of God. David was a type. Jesus is the ultimate king. David was the king, a lesser king. He was a type. In Psalm 2, David was suffering. At the cross, the Son of God was suffering. Now David's not here to suffer no more. The Son of God's not here to suffer more. Guess who's suffering now? The church suffers for God. This psalm is not just about David. It's not just about Christ. It's about the body of Christ. Through God's servant David, who also suffered on God's behalf, about the greater David, the greater son, of which David was a type, namely Jesus, pictured here as a servant of God. Servant, bondslave is used of David, it's used of Christ, and it's used of the apostles and all believers. Jesus is pictured here as a servant of God who suffers at the hand of sinners. And that now they also are servants who suffer for God. As verse 29 says, Hear these threats against your servants, your bond slaves. They see themselves, and rightly so, as being caught up in the great fight between good and evil, between God and Satan. From this vantage point, they, they, they could say with all power, and this is what's important, when you know you're in the will of God, even suffering, please understand some: when you know you're in the will of God, You know, you're caught up into the will of God. You're even suffering for the will of God. It's from this vantage point that you can say with all boldness, all power, all authority. You can say with the deepest conviction to say these words in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. That's important. When we suffer for Christ, can we bring it to the Lord and remind the Lord that this has taken place because you allowed it to take place? Do we rejoice what Jesus says, that we are blessed like our forefathers when we are persecuted for the name of God? Like they persecuted the prophets before us? And this is all done in a historical setting. Because of the reality that God is the God of creation in human history, because God is the God of redemptive history, saving sinners, and that God the Holy Spirit has already spoken about the current events a thousand years earlier, they're living in something that God said a thousand years earlier would happen through the sufferings of his servant David. They can proclaim in their prayer to God that whatever your plan has predestined to take place, it has come to pass way to pray. What a way to look at human history. What a way to look at current events. What a way to read the newspaper. Tomorrow, when you're reading the paper, read it with this. That everything's taking place according to God's plan and predetermination. It's coming to pass. We're watching the geopolitical landscape changing at an alarming rate. Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Family member against family member. Race against race. Socioeconomic against socioeconomic. Tension is mounting. It's coming to pass right before a rise. And my personal Sat, I should say, consolation doesn't come with trying to figure out what the future high believe, uh, brings. I just know that God is in absolute control of the future. I know that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people live in this world and are thinkers. If you're living in this world, you're living in this culture, you don't have a mind and you just sort of like put your head in the proverbial sand and just go through life. Alright. But if you're going to think And really think about where the nation's going, where the church is going, where life is going as you're getting older, and not realize that God's in full control of it, they're out of their mind. That brings no solace whatsoever. And what they're saying, so even though it's tough here on earth, even though the nations are still raging, it's all within your plan, oh God. And since it's all within your plan, we ask boldly. When you see God's way, you pray God's prayers and you pray according to His will. They are praying according to the will of God. Now, to be sure, you and I are not being persecuted the way they were being persecuted. Americans are quarantined. From a lot of spiritual reality. Did you know that? From a lot. There's a lot going on in the world for 2,000 years. There's a lot going on against Christians right now all around the world. We're sort of quarantined. We got, we got a nice little space over here. We got a nice little tucked away. And, you know, we're sort of removed. And we don't feel the pressure. We don't see, feel the pain. We don't feel the evil one making things tight. But it's getting tight. And I've been sharing as we see politically what's going on, even in our country, there is a strong hostile stance. There's a fight going on against the Christian faith. It is real, but the answer isn't in the next politician. The answer is not a man. The answer is in O oh, Sovereign Lord. And as a nation, as a, as Christians, that's what we have to know. We have to believe, and we have to pray accordingly. And we have to pray according to the qualifications of God, that he's in full control of human history, that no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, God is in control, and go to him, because he's got us on a mission. He wants us to speak about Christ with all boldness. And that's the prayer they say here. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants who are still suffering here to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's interesting that the prayer shows the young church's desire to honor God. Jesus said, you will be my what? You will be my witnesses and all. It is so important that we understand what a Christian is called for. Because when we know what we're called for, we do know how to pray. And they knew how to pray. They knew they were called to witness for Christ. The word of salvation in Jesus must go forth. Signs and wonders, if necessary, give them the signs and wonders they cried out for to baffle the leaders of this miraculous power and to liberate the sinner to realize that God is faithful. And what's wonderful about this prayer, what's magnificent about this prayer, it's what's missing from this prayer. They don't ask for new leaders. They don't ask for deliverance. They don't ask for protection. No, they plead for boldness in the face of opposition. Who's they praying for? Not get together and complain, but let's pray. That is the answer. And not just any boldness, but a boldness that goes against The opposition that was trying to silence the preaching of the gospel. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Our culture, our world, our families, our friends, our nation, they still don't want to hear that there's salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear about a moral God, they don't want to hear about a day of judgment. They don't want to hear that God is a just God. And that God has to act justly according to his nature. So many people don't want to hear that. And that's the kind of culture, that's the climate we live in. And they're trying to stifle us speaking about Lord, about sharing the faith. You can't share the faith in, in, in jobs anymore. You can't share the faith in, in corporate America. You can't share the faith on college campuses you might not see that going on, but that's what's happening. I have a friend of mine, daughter very bold for the Lord, maybe seven years old. She tells everybody about Jesus. They had to call in the parents several times, right? Your daughter's telling everybody that Jesus is the only way. But this is what's going on. That you can't even share your faith anymore. The world doesn't want to hear it. But God's faithful, amen? And when you pray according to God's will, what does First John teach us? He hears our prayers, and he answers them. And he answered this prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered <clears throat> together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued, like they were before, they continued to speak the word of God. With boldness. The building is shaken as it was in the beginning as a testimony to God. A fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit is the only answer. Not cunning methodologies, not new strategies, just a keen sense and awareness of the times and their part in human history and a keen awareness that they're called to be witnesses of the gospel. They prayed and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit because they had their priorities correct. That's why. Church, I gotta be honest. Honesty is the best policy before the Lord. They had an inner fear in themselves. Overcoming the fear of man is not something you can do by trying. You can't do it. You and I cannot overcome the fear of man. And sharing our testimony about the Lord by trying harder. Did you know that? There's only one answer. Tell me what it is. It's called prayer. Honest prayer. An evaluation. A keen sense of the times we're living in. What's happening in history. Our call to witness for Christ. Did you know that it's every... Any believers here? It It is your duty to naturally share Christ with people. Naturally. You find your own shtick. You find your own way. You find your own way to do it. i got friends of mine. They're right out there. They tell everybody that they're sinners. They need Jesus. They do it in a loving way. Other people just make friends. They become a Jew to a Jew, a Greek to a Greek. They become all things to all people that some might be saved. The, the, The more friendship evangelism. Other people always, you find a way, but please understand something. It's my job to tell us all and remind myself, it is your obligation to share Christ. It really is. There's no wiggle room. There's no putting it off. It's not my job. My job is to do what I'm supposed to do, share with you, strengthen you, go out, talk to people about Christ, and make a stand for the truth. When you see the truth, whether it's on morality or on spirituality or just against religion being taken place in the marketplaces of our life, don't worry about converting people. Just make a stand for the truth. Jesus is God. That's all. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. And if they persecute us, so be it. But that's what we're called to do. It is our job. We are the mouth of the Lord. We are the hands of the Lord. We are the feet of the Lord with the body of Christ fear of man is probably one of the greatest obstacles in witnessing the gospel at the end of the day that's why many Christians do not share their faith hostilities along with an epidemic of unbelief in our culture and religious indifference When it comes to application we need to be careful how we apply this text to our personal lives it is healthy it is profitable that all Christians know that God is the sovereign all powerful Lord that can do all things for nothing's impossible in your life As a pastor, I want, if you can leave this room today and have a revelation that your future is in God's hands, I can go home and be with the Lord. And I mean that. If every believer could grasp that and know it and pray according to it, your life would be totally different. As a church, we want to Make sure that this is our ethos. This is the way we believe in this church, that the God we pray to is in absolute full control of the ministry and everything we hand to him. We take a couple of pieces of bread in our preaching. We take a couple of fish in our ministry and we say, God, bless it according to your power. There is nothing too little for the Lord. There's not too much great for the Lord. God can save with a little. God can save with with a few or with many. As Jonathan teaches us, it makes no difference. We really need to have this. But we need to be careful how to apply this text. This is all about the gospel. It's not about our personal life. What you just read and what we just read today is not about you and me. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen? And our part in it. Salvation in Jesus is the priority, and all of us are responsible for its protection and administration. All of us. Every one of us. It's our duty. It's our part. And the two main reasons that Christians struggle in this area is, one, is the fear of rejection and the fear of man. And that's understandable. We all have that. You get your people out there. Some Christians are great evangelists. They, they have no fear at all. I'm not like that. I got to pray. And God's what? God's faithful. I don't just pray on my own. I pray with my wife. And I pray with the saints. I pray with my Christian brothers and my Christian sisters over this. And God is always faithful. Always faithful. But the, the second one. That comes against Christian witnessing. And this is probably even more dangerous. Because when it comes to the fear of man, there's an answer prayer. But the next one is spiritual indifference. Does it really matter, Brian? I mean, come on. Does it really matter if I tell people about Jesus? I'm going to heaven. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can to live a holy life. You know, I I don't hear. I, I don't see it. It's not important to me anymore. Sharing my faith is not important to me anymore. That's indifference. Amen. That is wrong. That's indifference. And we all need to find out where we are in that spectrum. Because when it comes to indifference, the Bible gives us one answer. And Jesus says, I rebuke you for being lukewarm. That's not a harsh word. I thank God for that word. Rebuke me, Lord. Correct me, Lord. Admonish me, Lord. Whatever it takes, get me on the right path again, Lord. If it's the fear of man, Father, give me the Holy Spirit. Let me speak and continue to speak the word with boldness. But God, if I have grown cold and lethargic, And apathy has taken over. And I have an indifference where I don't even really care anymore. God, come into my life and stop me right now. Personal rebuke is the only answer for indifference and loob.